Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Liz and Mike McKee with Cowell Banker Preferred in Wilmington, Delaware. Last year, they closed 84 transactions with a total sales volume of $25 million. Their average sales price was $297,000, of which 40% were buyers and 60% were sellers. They operate a team with nine members, four client care specialists, one settlement coordinator, one listing coordinator, one virtual assistant, and two team leaders. Liz and Mike McKee are the team leaders of the Liz and Mike McKee team. Liz has been an agent for 30 years and is a third-generation realtor. Mike has been an agent for 30 months. In this call, Liz and Mike talk about why Liz left her family brokerage to join a national franchise, how they doubled their sales volume and tripled their GCI in one year, their goal to double again this year and how they plan to do it, the difference between the sales side and the business side of your practice, what they do to get 48% of their business from repeats and referrals, how to use statistics to separate yourself from the competition, the expired listing campaign that generates 24% of their business, how they turn one listing into two clients, their successful neighborhood preview model, how old-fashioned basics result in high profit margins, the key to working with your spouse, plus team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Liz and Mike. Thanks, Mike. Glad to be here. Looking forward to it, Mike. Before we go into what you're doing now, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Mike, let's start with you. Well, Mike, it's interesting. I was in the sales and sales management for a number of years, worked in the financial services business and saw that business moving to computers back in the 1990s and decided that uh, I didn't want to be tied to a desk and had a real real cool opportunity uh, with a company that some people might remember, Thermospas. They were in the, the hot tub business back when uh, things were very good and we sold in-home sales. Uh, we sold hot tubs where we went to people's homes and sold sight unseen out of a book. So I, I got a great experience of in-home sales that way. And then when the market turned down, we all remember uh, the debacle of 2007 and eight. I actually started into my own business and tried that for a couple of years. And after a number of years of telling Lizzie that uh, real estate wasn't for me, I was out of excuses and got into the business back in August of 2011. And all she keeps telling me is what took you so long. And I really regret not getting into the business much, much sooner now. Liz, what were you doing before real estate? That's a 
good question. I had a couple different secretarial jobs when I got out of high school, and I'm actually a third-generation realtor now. It was my grandparents and my parents and then my sister and myself, but my father and I were very much alike in reference to our personalities, and I never thought that I could work for him. And when I got in the business, my mother was also an insurance broker with inside the real estate business. So I actually got into the office as an assistant for my mother in the insurance industry. And then when I saw what was involved in reference to real estate, I thought it was very interesting and that that was something that I could do. So then I got my real estate license and it's probably been um, about 30 years now that I have been licensed in Pennsylvania and then got my Delaware license, I believe, in 2007. Three generations. That is going way back. Were all the conversations around the, the dinner table and the get-togethers about real estate or was it pushed to the side? No, it was always about real estate, Mike. And as a young child, I would always say to my parents, can't you guys talk about something else? And now I find Michael and I having, having those exact same conversations around our dinner table. You must have been exposed to the real estate business really early. Did you go into the office as a teenager or even as a, a young child? Yes, absolutely. In fact, I have one of the favorite photos I have in our home is of me as a young child. And I'm guessing I was probably maybe six or seven, and I was sitting in my grandmother's chair. And next to the chair was a globe that my grandfather had. So I literally have that globe in our home, and you can see the globe in the photograph and me as a child. So I have very many fond memories of going into the office, of seeing my, well, my grandmother, my grandfather had already passed, but seeing my grandmother uh, and visiting her at the office. Well, Liz, when, when you took the plunge and got into real estate, do you think you had a fast start or a slow start? I had a very interesting start because I came from a mom and pop mentality. So, you know, in, in the reference to the real estate world today, it's very, very different. It was basically, there's the door, go find your business. And, you know, back then it was very different. We didn't have computers. It was all done by, I can't believe how old I am, newspapers and the lovely blue MLS books. And you used to have to, uh, you know, do, do a lot differently than, than you certainly do today. And when I got into the business, being a little stubborn that I am, I did not use my maiden name because I wanted to prove that I could do it on my own, not use the family name. So I was a little stubborn in that respect. Very, very different. Did you start with your father? Did you start with his company or did you branch out on your own right away? No, I started with my father's company, my grandfather's company, my father's company, and I was there for about, oh my, 23, 25 years. Liz, you went to a, a large national franchise rather than the mom and pop that your grandfather and father ran. Why didn't you continue with the family business? Why did you move over to a large franchise? That's a great question, Mike. And the main reason is it's very difficult to compete. When I saw the way the market was going, I would speak to the family members and say, we need to change. We cannot keep on going the way we're going. You know, the, par the people that my grandparents sold to were, were no longer around. I mean, you know, we had a very niche market at that point. And we were losing business right and left. You can't keep agents when you're a small mom and pop. You just couldn't pay them enough. And there wasn't any training or education to even offer them. So I would try to discuss this with my family members and say, we need to change. We need to grow. And they didn't want to do it. They wanted to keep on going 
the way they were going, and I wanted to grow my business, and I couldn't do it there. The funds just weren't there, so it was time for me to move on, and Caldwell Banker was a perfect fit for for me at the time because Michael wasn't licensed, and then even when Michael came on board, and what I find amazing, Mike, is you you don't know what you don't know. You know, coming from a small mom and pop, until you see the technology and the IT and everything that is available, it was just like one of those, wow, why didn't I do this sooner where my business would have been if I had. When you made that transition, did you see a jump in your production? Well, you know, I think when you change from any office, Mike, there's going to be you know, a little lag time because you have to get the word out to all of your COI and have the conversation. So there was a little a little lag time, as I think, as, as, opens, as happens with most agents. So once uh, people realized where, that, where I was and they could find me, it grew rather quickly. And the credibility was amazing. The fact that I had attached myself with Coldwell Banker, one of the oldest companies around, and then plus all of my experience You know, when you've got the mom and pop training where my grandfather did a good 90% of his business with a handshake, and that does certainly bode well now with the corporate that I have behind me where I had the small training and I continue that into the business that we still generate today. How many homes did you all sell last year? Last year, we sold 84 homes for uh, right at $25 million. If I have my numbers correct, basically you had doubled from the year prior your volume and, and maybe even tripled your GCI. Does that sound correct? It does, Mike. Well, how did you make that big leap? Well, I think the first thing is we really looked at the business from the listing standpoint. That One of the things that I've done is being from the sales industry, I found so much information in the real estate business uh, that people were willing to share. And we had some very close friends, Harry and Marie Greiser, that are uh, big agents in the Philadelphia area that were kind enough to give me the millionaire real estate book that Gary Keller had written. And I've always been a, a sponge for knowledge and really have jumped into the business and just torn it apart and studied the tapes, a lot of help from, from your tapes, and really enjoy studying businesses and how they work. And it, it, we looked at it first from a, a marketing standpoint, and I think that's one of the things that may help particularly new people coming into the business, is that so many people think we're in the real estate business when I really believe that we're in the marketing business first. We just happen to be in real estate and selling homes. The one thing that I learned from the Millionaire book was that if, you're, if you have the listings, you're an employer, not an employee. And our coach, Jim Cabosco, it was interesting because as I started into the business, I really didn't understand the, the real estate business, living with Lizzie as long as I had. We'd been married at the time for 10 years. And I really never understood the real estate business as a business. And one of the things that Jim said to me, uh, Jim Cabasco, our coach, was somebody's always being born, somebody's always dying, somebody's always downsizing, and somebody's always upsizing. Life happens and real estate happens around it. And when I really understood that, or when we really understood that, because Lizzie was a consistent uh, 20 to 30 uh, unit producer year after year, and 
we looked at it and said, well, I really can't go after the COI with Lizzie being in the business at the time, 25 plus years. We really had to look at how can we start to market ourselves, market the business and understand the business. So we really made it a listings based business. And that's how we really have been able to grow the business over the last couple of years. You're predicting more growth. What do you anticipate doing here in 2014? Our drop dead number for 2014 is 150 closed sides. Our goal is 165, 40 million in business. Basically, you're looking to double again. Yes, we are. I think based on your track record over the last year, you have a good chance of doing it. We really feel like that we do. We've been blessed with some great people that have come onto our team. And we've really tried to build it around a family concept of everybody together. Everybody achieves more in a team. And we have some just tremendous, tremendous people that are sharing the same goals that we have. And it's really about growing the business and helping people get to where they want to be also. Where is Wellington, Delaware? Wellington, Delaware is just south of Philadelphia and north of Baltimore. So we're in a nice niche area and we really cover three counties in particular, Delaware County, which is just outside of South Philadelphia, Chester County, which gets out into a little bit more rural area, and then we fall down into the Wilmington, Delaware area, which is Newcastle County. So we really have quite a radius that we're working. It's about an hour and a half radius from where our office is, and we have a couple of agents that are Maybe a lot of people don't look to build their business this way, but we've got, a, as I mentioned, a couple of key people that are in some strategic areas, and we're looking to build around them in those areas in the counties that I had mentioned. Do you have one central office location, or are you creating some satellite offices or satellite people on your team? Well, the nice thing is is that Coldwell Banker Preferred has nine offices, and we've literally worked out of eight of those offices, Mike. The company allows us to utilize them, and the geographic location suits some of our agents a little bit better than where our desk is. So we're literally all utilizing the offices in the states that we're each licensed in. You and Liz, are you both licensed in both Pennsylvania and Delaware? Yes, we are both in Pennsylvania and Delaware. Describe your current real estate market. It really depends on the area, Mike. It's, it's interesting because we were on a listing presentation the other evening where the inventory accumulation was at a seven-month accumulation, and we're going on one tonight where there's two months. So what you find is, is that each area is pretty much unto itself. We've definitely seen the market stabilize. In some areas, we've had some increase, but it's pretty much of a stable market. And the nice thing is, is that really we can go anywhere that we want to create business, duplicate business. And I think that's one thing that maybe for some new agents that might be on the call, that's good news. If you're in that suburban or even rural type area, there's so many different ways that you can create business. Or if you're a seasoned agent, get re-energized and and restart your business again. So we feel that we're very fortunate to be in the, the demographics that we are. The average days on market in the three counties that we work in, or each one is a little bit different, but they're anywhere from 70 to 90 days. We've been fortunate last year. Our days on market were 47, 
days on market on average, and we're looking to obviously trend that down a little bit more also. Why do you think you've been able to sell homes twice as fast as the average of your area? Well, the one thing that we've done, Mike, is that we really have worked very hard on our print material. The old concept of perception is reality. First, when I got into the business, I went back and I asked Lizzie, you know, what's the percentage of the listings that you sold in your career? And we really dug in and we found out that she was 30% ahead of the industry average after 2008. So the first thing that we did is we put together a nice little flyer and said that we've been fortunate to be 30% ahead of the industry average and use that as our original marketing piece. And then we went a little bit further and put together some trifolds to give some credibility, not only to ourselves, but also to our agents. And then we went as far as putting together a pre-listing packet or what we call a marketing proposal. And one of the things that we, if we're out talking to somebody, we've had a lot of success with door knocking and not doing what a lot of the traditional agents have done of working in the office through phone calls or emails. And we've went back to that old philosophy that Liz started with years ago that you went out and had farm areas. And the the one thing that I've always learned is you can tell a lot more by looking somebody in the eye and having a conversation with them. And one of the things that we try to do is have real estate conversations every day, but yet also have something that we can leave a nice leave behind that tells them a little bit about us and what we've done. And then the next step would be to get together and discuss your situation a little bit further. Do you all have a a niche or a specialization in your market? We really, Mike, it's interesting because in in getting ready for this, we looked and and as we always do, source our business. And about 48% of our business last year came from past clients, sphere of influence, referrals, withdrawal and expires were 24% of our business. We have something that we'll probably get into called a neighborhood preview, which was 5% of our business. Open house was 9% of our business. If you total that up, it comes to 86%. So we really have looked at many different areas because there's just so much out there. And I think that's one of the things that I mentioned earlier in understanding the business side of real estate as compared to just the sales side of it. Mike, you mentioned that a couple times, the business side of real estate rather than the sales side of real estate. What do you mean by that? One of the things, Mike, I think that real estate has changed dramatically, as you probably know, in the last oh, 10 years with the, the concept and the advent of the team. And I really looked at the business through Lizzie's eyes for many years, being that individual producer. And I didn't see myself going out and showing buyers or having open houses, which, by the way, now I do all the time and love. But I had that kind of perception that it was just an individual business. And looking at the team concept and now being in the business for next month will be my 31st month in the business. You said we're just about two and a half years in. And to look at the power of the real estate business when you start to build a team and really understand that listing-based business where you can duplicate other business around it. It's fascinating to me the, the, the number of business that comes from signs, from the internet presence, 
and really starting your business from that listing base of if you have the the listings, you're in control of the market. Maybe a good way to put it is you're an employer as opposed to an employee. And what we did, Mike, is we really looked, Liz and I, because one of the things, her background and knowledge of the, the real estate industry was far, far surpassed what I could ever be from the negotiating side and understanding the contracts. My more forte was in sales and sales management. And the old scenario that you can become an expert that in anything you're willing to put 10,000 hours into, we really took that to heart. We had an interesting thing happen on December 5th was my birthday of 2011. We wound up talking about the business because I had been licensed for a month at that time, had been out and started the process of, of door knocking and how we were going to develop other business outside of our COI. And I started to get a handle on just how much was out there. And I said to Liz, can we just put our head down for two years? I promise you, you won't believe where we will be. And that was just last September. And you've given an idea of some of the numbers. So I've said to many people, I've never seen something so explosive. If you really work as a system, and that's what we've, we've done on our listings is Liz really does all the preparation for presenting the numbers. And I do the, the marketing side of it. And it's so much fun to be able to go into presentations with your best friend, your spouse, and have a business together and know exactly what your roles are. And people have said to us all along is, how do you do it? How do you work together? But I think that the thing is, is that we both have our, our defined roles in the business. It's not like we're together every day. But I can tell you the one thing that we do enjoy doing is going on listing presentations together. And I think that was the key to it is really when you understand just how much business, one of the things that we always try to do is have at least one to two other transactions around each one of the listings. And that's what I mean by understanding the business and then also getting additional agents into the business and training them is really the fun thing and watching them grow. So that's kind of the idea of, of building a business as opposed to just an, an individual producer. Two key words that I heard you mention and building this business rather than just the sell side, and that is duplicatable and systems. Sounds to me like you have a good grasp on that. You also mentioned this idea that the two of you working together as a married couple, and you know, many people are looking at this and wondering how they could pull that off. But you mentioned you have roles, and each of you plays a role in the business. My first glance at your roles is that, Mike, you're running the office side, the administrative side, the operations side, and Liz, you're running the sales side. Am I correct in that view of the way your business is structured? No, you have it backwards. I have it backwards. I'm in the office, the administrative, you know, having the knowledge on the agreements of sale, the processing of everything and negotiating. So I handle all the administrative with the assistants, getting the contracts. The assistants will do the listing contracts, they'll do the agreement of sales, um, but I oversee that aspect. Michael is more the marketing, where he determines, you know, the material. He handles more of the systems in reference to the scripts 
you know, what to say, how we say it, and how to improve and to make that where we can teach our team members the exact same information so it can be repeated over and over again and be consistent. You mentioned you go on listing appointments together. Are you all taking the listings or have you started to transfer that to the team members where they're working with both the sellers and the buyers? Well, of course, whatever listings we generate, we do keep ourselves. The majority of the buyers that we do generate from that, we will turn over to our team members. But we do allow our team members to take listings also. We know some teams will not allow their agents to do that. Our agents can list and sell. And whatever listings that they get, they are their own. Uh, And we just train them on how to go after them, how to go after the listings, and then even train them in reference to the scripts and the presentation once they do get the opportunity to get inside a home. I want to come back to your roles and and how you split them up. I'm, I'm still formulating this picture in my mind. So, Liz, you're working on the administrative side and the negotiations and contracts. Mike is working on the the marketing systems and scripts. Who's handling payroll and business planning and so forth? Do you guys do that together? uh, I'm still trying to get this idea of how you've structured it so you don't step on each other's toes. Payroll I handle. Usually pretty much anything office administrative. Michael handles the numbers in reference to tracking in reference to our, our spending and what, you know, what we're putting out to generate business. But I handle the, the payroll more the... The administrative, Lizzie more handles. The business aspect, I more handle. From lead generation, we were exploring new lead generation opportunities through the internet. But as far as uh, the marketing side, generating the leads and majority of getting into the house, I do, other than Lizzie's old center of influence. More of the marketing and lead generation is, is more on my plate. And then the numbers aspect of the business is also where I handle. And as Lizzie said, more of the sales and administration she oversees. Who oversees the sales agents, the agents on the team? I do. I spend a lot of time in that area. And we just started something recently, Mike, where Lizzie has joined into the, the team meetings on that also. When we first started out, it was just myself working with the agents. And it's brought a, a, a whole new aspect to our team meetings with Liz being in there and, and sharing. So we've, we're kind of doing that as a dual role now, which I know that's an area that a lot of people probably wouldn't do, but we work so well together that it, it's been a tremendous asset. It usually works out too, Mike. As, as Michael says, he handles more the administrating and the training of the agents on how to grow their business. But when they have a question, when it comes to the agreement of sale or the negotiating, they come to me. Right. With all that experience of uh, being in the trenches negotiating those contracts for the last 30 years, that's why I had anticipated that Liz would be on that sales side. So this is really interesting to me. It's funny because one of our agents said, she goes, I've got, got the best of both worlds. She's she got Michael who has all the marketing knowledge and then she has me that were my years of experience with the agreements and how to handle situations. Do you two have any recommendations for someone who's thinking about working with their spouse? What are the do's and the don'ts to make that work? We definitely have to set boundaries. And you certainly have to have, and Michael will say this to me all the time, communication. Because I 
traditionally will shut down. I keep everything internalized where Michael is very, uh, very good at, at verbalizing and, and communicating. So you do need to communicate and definitely define your roles as to who's going to do what. I think the other thing that may help, Mike, is, as I said earlier, I think that so many people get into the real estate business and don't realize just how important that prospecting is. So if, and I think that's where many times realtors, if they do it with their spouse, that's many times where, let's say, tension can come. And if you have somebody that, that is going to be the marketer and the lead generator, be that. And I think that's one of the things that's really led to our success is I enjoy that aspect. I don't enjoy the paperwork, the negotiating, any of that. And we make it very clear with our clients that we do have two separate roles. And we'll do that right at the listing presentation early on in the presentation. We'll, we'll make that clear that I'm the marketing arm and getting your home out there and exposed and that Lizzie's pretty much everything else <laughs> along with along with our team that we feel that we hold our team, whether that be the administrative end, any subcontractors with relationships that we've had because and we didn't get into it earlier, Mike. We also had some time where we were uh, back when real estate was was hot, and in the early 2000s, we were flipping properties. So we've we've have a lot of knowledge of homes and relationships with contractors and that type of thing. But one of the things that's helped us now, obviously, in the sales side of the business, is those relationships have continued on. And one of the things that we always say is we hold our team to a higher standard. And our our business is to exceed your expectations. And, and we hope that you're so impressed with what we do that you'll refer one or two people that you really care about while the transaction's going on. Because we know if we do a bad job, you'll probably tell 20 or 30 people. And, and we can't afford that. I really like this idea that you came to an agreement on who was going to fill what role. Did you do that formally in a business plan or was it just that you were talking back and forth? And if you did it formally, did you formalize it with any kind of titles for what your position would be in the team? I made him sign a paper that I'm always right. And I had it notarized. <laughs> <laughs> Probably more importantly, Mike, we had the, the, the best contract that you could ever have called marriage. And that's really what we've based our business on, that if we did enter into this business together, that it would never come before our marriage relationship. And that if ever got to that point that we needed to have a, a take some time, step back from it and realize one, why we got into the business. And that was is that we enjoy being with each other. For those people that are out there, there's nothing better than getting up every day and next to your best friend and then having an opportunity to chase your dreams. So that was the thing that we based everything on. We've never uh, had a, a, anything formal or anything like that. We feel that, that our relationship is strong enough and, and we love being with each other and real estate has just enhanced that opportunity to, to spend more time together and, as I said, chase our dreams and goals and help other people get to where they want to be. How lucky am I, Mike? It sounds like it's working out well. I have an amazing husband. I've heard you mention that you're best friends multiple times. I, I think that's probably some of the glue in there that keeps it all together. 
It does. I mean, and, and I don't want to insinuate that every day is perfect, but I think that the biggest thing is that, as Liz said earlier, that if you ever feel like that if you do do this, to, if you do it together, that you will always communicate and have questions, I think is the, is the best thing that, and get back to the basics of, of why you're doing this. Are your personalities the same or different? Have you taken, for instance, the DISC personality test? We have, and Lizzie's the consummate driver, and I'm the classic amiable. But the one thing that I will tell you, Mike, is that we've spent an awful lot of time studying personality types. And it's one of the things that I would say that has definitely helped our business. As I said, I'm a a tape junkie, a book junkie, and love to to learn about people and challenging the different personality styles. I'll never forget from one of your earlier tapes you were interviewing. I, I don't remember who it was, but you're questioning the person and you were going through a a client situation where the person said, I can't see this person ever buying was the conversation we're having with the agent that was being interviewed. And they said, if you can't ever see them buying, certainly they can't. And words are so powerful and obviously studying personality types, body language, tonality, all the things that that many, many people before us have given us. There's so much good information out there that we all have. If we really want to succeed in the business, there's so much good stuff out there that you can learn. And that's one of the things that I think that's, that's been a tribute to Lizzie because she's been in the business and this might be good for some agents. So many people have been in the business for a long time, and one of the hardest things I think for all of us to do is to change or to look at ourselves. And one of the things when we got in, I said, how do you do a listing presentation? And Liz would say, well, I just go in and do it. And I said, that's, that's not what, what, what I've learned in, in sales, that everything has to be documented and why you do things. And, and one of the things that was interesting was – as her business was was 95% referral for years. And as I mentioned earlier, I came into it, so I knew we couldn't go after that. So we had to really raise our, our game up going into people that we didn't know. So we felt like that we had to be scripted and on task to exactly what value proposition each of us were going to have so that we could communicate better with people and make them feel comfortable that we were the people that could get their home sold. Well, let's get into that marketing side, how you're generating your leads and your business. Half of your business came from your COI, your sphere of influence and your past clients. Let's talk about that. First of all, how big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? Great question, Mike. We got up last year to about 1,500. When I came into the business two and a half years ago, Liz had a client base of right at about 750. So in about two years, we were able to double that. And then we looked at it last year and we cut back a little bit. I know that's always an interesting question that you bring out many times is, do you leave people in? Do you take people out? And when I originally got in, I felt like, wow, let's, let's market to everybody. But now as our business has grown, we've really looked at it and said, what do we need to do to really enhance and take it to the next level? 
And one of the things that we felt like is, is that we needed to get a good form of communication. And we really have looked for about two years to find what we thought was a good, valuable newsletter. Because one of the things that you hear so many times is after you've sold somebody, they don't want to hear about your statistics. They want to have something that's pertinent to them or what's going on in the economy. And we found what we feel is probably one of the better newsletters in the industry, very, very cost effective with a very high open rate. And we're finding that that's been a a big asset. We're starting to see more past clients calling us since we started that and really starting to get some real good traction with that. What's the company that's producing that newsletter? It's homeactions.net, if anybody would like to utilize it. It's about home ownership, products that have been recalled, what we feel is very good pertinent information to keep us at top of mind, but not just inundate with real estate statistics. Homeactions.net. You said open rate. So is this going out by email or hard mail? It's going out by email. It's going out every other week, so we're having literally 26 touches throughout the year, and we're finding a very, very good open rate on it. When you say really good open rate, what's the open rate? We've been right at about 40% on it. That's pretty good. Yeah. You mentioned that you expanded this list that you have from 750 to 1,500 in two years, added 750 people. What was the difference? Where did you find those people? Who were you adding to your list? Another great question, Mike. One of the things that we've been able to do is really duplicate a lot of business around our listings. And this might be something that's great for a a seasoned agent that wants to get their their business back re-energized again or for a brand new agent. Many people have reduced their time of, of open houses or aren't even doing them. And we really look at open houses in a completely different vein in that when we're on a listing presentation, we'll ask the potential seller, how do you feel about your neighborhood? And I think it's pretty fair to say that any any seller is going to say, it's a great neighborhood. We say, well, how do you feel about about the open house concept? Well, I don't know. How do you – and they'll put it back on us many times. And we'll say, we have a different philosophy in that we want to utilize the neighborhood as an asset because our job as your listing agent is to expose your home to as many potential buyers as possible. And we start with the traditional just listed calls of 200 around the neighborhood. But what we've done after that is we've added it with a phone campaign where we'll follow up and ask the neighbors, who do they know that might be interested in moving into the neighborhood? Who do they work with? Who do the kids go to school with? Who do they worship with? And we've had success where people will give us people's names from that. But more importantly than that, we feel that the first open house is the most important. And what we do is we coordinate not only the day that we hit the market, But also, right when we hit the market, we'd like to have that first open house from 12 o'clock to 4 o'clock, where most people in the industry are reducing open houses. We're actually increasing our open houses because we found that generally people want to work those less. We see tremendous opportunities in 
the Friday or Saturday prior to the open house, literally going out and following up the just listed cards and the phone calls with what we call a neighborhood preview, where we invite them to that neighborhood preview from 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock. And what we found is that, one, we get quite a few listing opportunities from it because people say, oh, I've never had anybody come to my door and talk to me about real estate. But more importantly, we also are having them literally working for us, talking to buyers. We had one recently where a fella sent out to his work of 400 people an email saying, I'd like you to come to this open house or at least come to my neighborhood because I love my neighborhood so much, I'd like somebody to move into it. Free advertising. And we found that we're getting people going to the traditional one to three open houses because we're open an hour earlier. We're getting that buzz in the neighborhood of, wow, these guys really market our home as opposed to list our home. And we are then getting relationships because we've met these people. Now they're potentially coming to the neighborhood preview or the open house and have even brought people. And when we sell it, then we can go back with just listed calls or door knock again and say, hey, just wanted to see you again. Just wanted to let you know we sold 123 Main Street in a week or two weeks or whatever it may be. Please keep us in mind. And oh, by the way, would you like to be cup abreast if we haven't captured their name or their email? This now gives us another opportunity to capture their name and start to drip market to them. So we feel that with that added time frame of not only the, the, the time period and with inventory being at a seven-year low in our area, we're seeing tremendous amount of buyers coming through our open houses. We've been able to capture a lot of buyers and also move up buyers. We're, we're having listing opportunities. And the other thing that we've done at the open house is had our, our trifolds. We've gone out and made specifically buyer trifolds and given people an idea of what they want to do if they're in their early part of buying. We've also put together a seller trifold and give some data as to if somebody's listed, if they're thinking about listing their property in the near future. And then we always carry with us our, uh, our marketing brochures. And we found from the open houses that it just has given us, when you combine our open houses and our neighborhood preview, this year we think it's going to be a good 20 to 25% of our business is going to come as a result just of those two facets of our business. And when you talk about that on a $40 million business, you can do the numbers and you can see that if you're an old agent, you want to re-energize the business, or a new agent, my gosh, what a great opportunity for somebody. If they're just willing to do the things that realtors used to do years ago, go door to door and farm areas and knock and make phone calls and not just make phone calls and, and emails, but get out and meet people and tell them who you are and what your value proposition is. The neighborhood preview, it sounds like it's an open house just for the people in the neighborhood. Does that occur before your public open house? We originally started that we were doing it from 12 to 1 prior to the open house. But we rethought it last year to the end of the year, and we said, why wouldn't we publish in the multiple listing that we're open from 12 to 4 and let anybody come? 
we don't care if they come from 12 to 1, the old neighborhood preview, or 12 to 4. We're just trying to expose the home to as many potential buyers as possible and then also work those buyers and see if they're move-up buyers or anybody in the neighborhood that potentially down the line would like to list and sell their home. We want to become the experts in that neighborhood by doing things that maybe nobody else has done in that area before. We feel it gives us a better shot to be able to do that. So your neighborhood preview is at the same time as the open house. Basically, you've tried to combine two events in the one. That's correct. We're combining the two into one now. We originally had it where it was just from 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock, and then we've had the traditional one to four. But we've combined it all together now just to get as much exposure as we potentially can. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R E A L G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Do the neighbors, the people that live in the neighborhood that are going to the neighborhood preview, do they still feel some type of exclusivity, that they're special, that they have some kind of entry into that home before the public? Or I'm trying to see how that works, that you've, you've been able to keep the specialness or the uniqueness for them. Why not just call it an open house? Why are you adding the neighborhood preview term? Is that simply for the marketing to drive people in the neighborhood into the open house? Yes, it is, Mike. It's, it, it's to get them into the open house and be able to have, as we all know, this business is about having real estate conversations. And we feel that whatever way we can have a real estate conversation, we're exposing that property and we're also building future business through having those conversations. When you had it spread out where you had this one hour before your public open house, for the neighborhood preview, were you getting a lot of the people from the neighborhood to show up? Yes. And it's interesting because the more that we seem to be in a neighborhood, the more traction we seem to be getting from the neighbors. One attending it, hey, it's good to see you again. And hey, I'm back to see because I'd like to get ideas. No problem. Come on in, see the property. That way you have a better idea of what market conditions are. And we've just found that from every aspect, it's a positive response from the neighborhood and that they're seeing also that we're doing things that other realtors aren't doing. So you've expanded the time of the open house to a four-hour window. You've combined it with the neighborhood preview. You sound very confident about the program. It's been working. It generated almost 15% of your business last year and you're expecting 20% this year. How many people are coming through the open houses? We had one uh, last Sunday. We had three open houses. We had 24. And how many, Lizzie, were from the neighborhood? There was a number from the neighborhood, wasn't there? There was five or six. Five or six from the neighborhood. We had another one where we had 12 through. Now that one, they didn't want a neighborhood preview. And then we had another one that we had done the neighborhood preview and we had, I believe it was in the 12 area and five or six were from the neighborhood in that one. And on those 
three open houses that you had, what were the results? How many buyers or sellers did you pick up? We wound up, Lizzie, how many, you, you did the one where there was 24. The, the 24, you know, we are finding, Mike, that a lot of them already do have buyer's agents. So probably out of the 24 that came through, I would say five of them did not. And then we turned those leads and that information over to one of our team members to follow through. So about 20% of the people that came through did not have an agent and you've put them into your lead system. Correct. Exactly. The one that I was at, Mike, I wound up picking up a potential listing appointment and two buyers through that also. And that was one where 12 people came through? Correct. Was that the one that they did or did not have the neighborhood preview? That's the one that they did. And the one listing lead you picked up, was that from the neighborhood? That one was not. That was somebody that had found the open house through the internet. So about 25% of the people that came through, you were able to, to pick up as a lead and a potential client. So it sounds like it is working for you. Are you doing these every weekend? We are, Mike. We've got a big listing load right now. We feel that the more open houses that we can do, the better opportunity it's going to be for us on both sides, picking up, as you, as you mentioned, buyers and listings off of it. A lot of people have shied away from it recently, and we feel that, again, we've gone to a longer time period and they have seen tremendous, tremendous results. Now, do we wind up selling that property, the open house, through the open house? We all know that that's not the the highest generation of selling homes. Uh, but the thing that we're finding is by doing that additional work around it and with the phone calls and the door knocking, that's where we're getting some additional traction that may help some people. Let's go into those details on your promotional side. You mentioned calling 200 of the neighbors uh, around that listing. Did I get that part correct? Was it 200? Yes, sir. Are you making those calls one by one or using some kind of automated system to send those calls out? We're using uh, Mojo. Okay, so you're making the phone calls through Mojo. Yes, sir. And then are you also sending out any type of direct mail? We're doing a just listed card, which is the first contact. The second contact then will be the Mojo call. And then the third contact would be the door knock for the neighborhood preview. And then you can even go steps beyond that. After the property is sold, you can go with a just sold card, which you can then follow up again with Mojo. And then again from an additional door knock. The just listed card, is it going out to the same 200? Yes. And then the door knocking, are you also knocking on 200 doors? Yes. So you really are coming at those people over, what, a couple-week period, maybe even a a 10-day period. You're you're contacting them three times. Yeah, we've taken a very organic approach there because, as I said earlier, we're looking, we feel that each listing should generate at least one to two additional pieces of business. And we've been very, very fortunate to have that happening around it was one of the things you asked earlier about how we've been able to to grow our business so quickly and why we feel that we can continue on this growth growth pattern that we're on is listings are the name of the business as we all know you're working a very large geographic area i think it's in an hour and a half drive in any direction 
Although these techniques, they almost sound like farming, geographic farming techniques. Are, are you doing these only in specific neighborhoods where they'll accumulate a lot of goodwill, or are you doing it all over your market area? We're doing it where we've had listings. And then the other thing that we also have done with our agents is they've picked five subdivisions that they want to be the neighborhood expert in. And we will do additional door knocking in those areas, just listed, just sold, or make a flyer up of here's what's sold in the neighborhood in the last three months or six months. And do you know anybody that's interested in buying or selling real estate? So what we feel is the market is, it's unlimited. And it's one of the things that I think is, is probably the hardest thing for maybe people starting out or, again, even somebody that wants to re-energize their business. There's opportunities everywhere. It's interesting because I had an opportunity a number of years ago before I was in the real estate business. I was in the financial business years ago, and I had an, a, an opportunity to spend a day with Tom Hopkins. And this was back in the late 80s. And I knew who he was and, and obviously his success in the real estate industry. And I'll never forget one of the things that he said to me, Mike. He said, if I didn't knock 100 doors a day, I wasn't comfortable. And I took that to heart when I came into the business because, as I said, I wasn't going to go to our center of influence. Lizzie at the time had been in the business for 25 years. I wasn't going to have credibility. So I thought that you know we didn't want to spend a lot of money at that time. Why not put together something and, and get out and meet people and do it the old-fashioned way? Because I think so many people spend so much time in the office today, and I've even had trainers that told me when I started out that that wouldn't work. You couldn't hit enough people. Well, one of those things, if you tell me you can't, that's even going to give a, a little more tenacity to us to, to why to do it. And it's turned out that I've had, and this is the, the true 70-year-old ladies, I've knocked doors and they've said, come on in, let me show you the house. I'm amazed at how friendly people are. And it's even happened with our new agents when we go out for the neighborhood preview. I, I, I've taken some of the, the, the ladies on our team out and they say, well, anybody open the door? I mean, this is, a, you know, this is the 2000s. People don't knock on doors anymore. But it, it's amazing if you, if you just go do the things you're uncomfortable with, the death of fear is certain. And the amount of business that's there, it's, I'll, I'll never forget the first couple of weeks of, of going out and door knocking. I would call Liz every night after picking a neighborhood and saying, babe, it's unbelievable. I got 12 more names for the database. I got 16 more names. It, 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 and I said, We're gonna, this is going to be unbelievable. <laughs> Tommy Hopkins, that, that's amazing. He, of course, got his start in real estate in his band uniform, if I recall. It has a great story there. That's very fortunate. How were you able to spend the day with him? How did that come together? It was in a, a prior business that I was in. He was in town doing a seminar for us, and he was actually spending the, uh, the day. And at the time, I was playing a lot of golf, and he had his golf clubs with him. So we wound up, picked him up at after the seminar, and uh, we went out and played golf, and I went up driving him to the airport that day, so we had about eight hours together, and I was very involved in a sales management company at the time, so it was just a, a day of being able to fire questions at one of the best. Oh, that's awesome. 
it is, Mike, and I, I do have to say I've been very, very fortunate to have some just tremendous, tremendous mentors in the business. And as I said earlier, I think one of the great things about the real estate business is, is that so many people are willing to share. And what you've done with your summits and these calls is invaluable for people that really want to move their business forward and take it to the next level. And my hat's off to you because it is just uh, the wealth of information that I've had being really a, 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 a rookie in the, in the real estate business. I, I can't thank you enough for what you've done and people like Gary Keller and Tom Hopkins and Haas Pratt and just the people that are willing to share. It's just a, it's a tremendous, tremendous community. How many of these 1,500 people that are in your database are past clients? That's a good question. Well, I can answer that question because we did some numbers for that. Lizzie has 750 settlements, just over 750 settlements she's had in her career. Not all of those would be in our database, but I would say that a good 450 to 500 would be in there. I think that'd be about right. Now, you all mentioned that you, you've removed some people from the database recently. How did you make that decision? Who did you take out? Those were some of the early door knocks that I had that hadn't been opening emails, hadn't had any response to us. We also do, a obviously, Christmas cards or holiday card, and uh, just felt like that they were maybe in some areas geographically that we didn't want to be in, and... Now that we've got some real traction in the business, we've decided to to really clean that database up a little bit because early on, I was just so excited that we had a name and a number that we could market to that we put them in there. And now that the business has a little more traction, I think we've, like I say, thinned it out a little bit. How are you staying in front of these folks in your database? What are you doing? Are you doing phone calls, emails, snail mail? What exactly are you doing and how often? Yes, yes, and yes. So, Lizzie, you want to talk about what you're doing with the sphere of influence? Yeah, I just recently updated all of my sphere of influence and, you know, scrubbed it and came up with people that, you know, I know are still in the area that I would want to follow up with. And I'm just emailing, phone calling, touching them, and then try to touch them at least four times a year. But they're also receiving the newsletter. And then it's my personal phone call, just, hey, how you doing? What's going on? How can we help you? You know, the normal situation from there, sending emails, depending on how people like to be contacted and or even texting. Are you trying to contact those people on a certain frequency, Liz? Yes, I do. I try to reach out to them once every three months at least. And then depending on the conversation, you know, if something's going on in their life, like if I know if someone's not well in the family or someone's graduating or if there's a family event, I will touch base with them after the family event or touch base, you know, depending on if there's a health issue to see how a family member is doing, you know, just as any friend would. When you say reach out, you mean you're going to make a phone call? Yes. I'm old school. How are you tracking that? Do you have a software system that you're tracking what your prior conversation was about? Well, here's me old school again. I have it on paper. I have a system. I have a system set up. So I log every time I spoke to them. I log what I spoke to them about. And then depending on when I want to touch base with them, I will take that piece of paper and put it to a, a month and date, like a tickler system, I guess, for lack of a better word. 
So you're keeping some file folders in your cabinet next to you, and they're uh, marked by the month, I'm assuming. And then you're just moving those pieces of paper with their contact to the next folder for that month that you want to call them? Correct. Does each contact just have one sheet of paper, or do some of them have they accumulated into multiple sheets? <laughs> yes. <laughs> some of them are pretty darn fat. <laughs> yeah, a little ragged on the edges, sure. Yes, very torn. But you're doing it in your file cabinet as opposed to in a three-ring binder. I have a combination. My binder is more current. The filer is for further out because of the size. And so that system has been working for you. Why have you resisted moving to the digital age, so to speak, and put it in the software? Because things crash and they can't be retrieved. Things get deleted accidentally. So I feel if I can touch it, I can find it. And it's working. Yes, it is. Do you think that it will continue to work as you grow the number of leads that you're working with? My binder, or I'm going to convert it over to a computer? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining your desk growing and your file cabinet getting huge and, and trying to track all these people and these dates. Well, you have to realize mine is, you know, really majority of the past clients. You know, and the, so some of it is the new is coming in, but usually the new business is more in the computer. And their, their touch is different than, than the old past client base that I have. That 450 to 500 people, you feel that you can manage those just fine using your current manual system? Yes. Very good. The funny thing about that, Mike, I am in the same boat that Lizzie is. I have a binder that I have day one through 35, the old system, and then a filing for, and I can see that growing, as you say, that challenge. So I guess somewhere along the line, maybe they'll teach an old dog like us new tricks, but it's working fine and it's nice and fat. So it's manageable, I guess. (laughs) And it's working and it's working. That's the key. So it sounds like this newsletter is your constant touch. You're going out every two weeks, 26 times a year. And then on top of that, you're making these phone calls four times a year. Those are your major, major touches that I'm hearing. Does that sound correct? That is correct. And that's resulted in half your business last year. So it's functioning at this point. And the only question is, will it continue if you grow it out larger? Will it continue to work fine manually? I assume it will. You'll just need larger filing cabinets and three ring binders. (laughs) We'll have to negotiate larger office space in our next contract. (laughs) Right, right. I love anything that works. That's the key. Are you doing anything else with your past clients, your sphere of influence? Are you doing any uh, client parties, anything else that you're trying to stay in front of them and in touch with them? Well, you know, years ago, I used to, I used to do that. I would do it every other year because of the expense of it, because I would invite anybody and everybody. I know some people will have the client parties where they only invite the people for the year that they did business with or people that referred. My theory was never that way. So I would always do this gigantic um, seafood feast, which was very expensive. But at the house that I resided in at the time, it worked out very feasible to do it because we lived next to a church. We had a church parking lot. We had a nice level backyard, and we would hire the band and magician, and it was it was a lot of fun to do. Uh, where we reside now, it's a little difficult. We have been discussing it, and it's coming back on the radar, but we haven't done so yet, but we have talked about it. Liz, when you're making those four calls per year to your past clients, 
Are you directly asking for business and referrals in the conversation, or is it more uh, low-key? Well, in the beginning, it's low-key, just checking in, how you're doing, how's the family, how's everybody doing, the, the, the general conversation. And at the end, you know, I always say, you know, we have some openings. Do you know of anybody that is looking to buy or sell? Please keep us in mind. We'd love to help them, you know, discuss the areas that we're in. Or a lot of times, depending who I'm making the call to, I might do a little research just to give them an update of what's going on in their neighborhood. And they usually do end the conversation of who do you know, or is there someone out there that you think we could help? Let's move on and talk about your expired withdrawn campaign. It sounds to me like around 24, 25% of your business came from expires and withdrawns last year. How are you doing that? What are you doing to get listings that have expired and withdrawn to start working with you? What's, what's your campaign? What's your program? Campaign, Mike, is, is that we, we go and door knock them. We go see them there at the door. If they're not home, we'll leave a little flyer. Mike, sorry that I missed you. We'd love to speak with you about getting your home back on the market and getting it sold. Mike or whoever knocked that door. And then we'll follow up with the phone calls and or if there isn't a phone number, we'll even go knock again. That personal touch again, a little bit different. We've tried to build our business, Mike, that it seems like everybody that has gone after expiring and withdrawing or either emailing if they have the ability to get the email or phone calling them. And I just found that there's a completely different reception in person than there is on the phone. And that's been one of the keys to, to that program working and being as successful as, it, as it's been, is, is literally going to the door and, and door night. It takes more time, takes some gas, but again, we've tried to build our business around doing things different than people are doing, and we can say that right from the beginning. We want to make a personal introduction rather than, than what everybody else is doing and trying to call you or whatever it may be. How often when you go to the door of an expired listing, is it answered? What percentage of the time? I'd say 15 to 25, depending on the, the time, the day. I mean, there's, it seems like there's some people that are never home. <laughs> but yet, I, I know that they've done statistics. I guess at any given time, there's 25 to 30% of the people are home, uh, they say. But I found that probably 15 to 20, 25%, depending on time of day and whether it's a weekend, whether it's an evening, whether it's during the day, and we'll even change up time of day that we go do it, that we'll swing by, whatever it may be. And once you get that program working, there's plenty of them out there to go around. When they answer the door, do you hand them something what do you say to them? Maybe you could walk us through a, a quick script. Sure. Hi, Mike. Mike McKee from Caldwell Banker. I noticed that your house had expired, and I would love to apply for the job of getting it sold for you. Oh, how did you know about that? Oh, you probably saw that it's, it's through the multiple listing. All of us realtors have the exact same information. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you've, you've probably been inundated with phone calls recently. And I just wanted to make a personal introduction and give you an idea that we've been fortunate to be 30% ahead of the industry average since 2008 and getting our clients' listings sold. And I was just wondering, are you thinking about getting your home back on the market in the near future? You know, uh, we certainly have to sell. We're, we're thinking about getting it back on the market. And you're right, boy, we've been getting a lot of phone calls. Um, so, you know, we really don't know what we're going to do at this point. Great. Well, I have a little piece here called uh, a marketing piece. 
and uh, it would just give you a little insight into exactly who we are, what we do, and why we've been so fortunate to be so far ahead of the industry average and getting our clients' listings sold. Love to, to uh, obviously have you go through this. And if and when the timing is right, we'd love to have an opportunity to sit down and just share with you and your wife an idea of what we would do to get your home sold this time rather than just listed. As a matter of fact, I've got some time later this week, but Thursday evening or sometime over the weekend be better for you. Uh, I'll have to I'll have to get my with my wife and find out. But this is sounding pretty interesting. You said you're selling the homes. What you said, thirty percent faster? Exactly, thirty percent ahead of the industry average since two thousand and eight. And as a matter of fact, uh, is it, I, I, uh, what is your phone number there? I know you're in the six one zero area code here. Six one zero. Uh, yes, yeah, 610-555-5555. Exactly. Okay, thank you very much. And also, is there an email? Your email address is? Uh, yeah, it's uh, sam at uh, samisagreatguy.com. Exactly. And one of the keys to that, Mike, that might help people, if you notice while asking the question, I'll look down. I have a clipboard with the with the marketing proposal uh, that I'll carry with us or a trifold or the, the original piece that I had mentioned, just a flyer. So you have to have some data there to distinguish yourself from everybody. I don't think that the piece is as important as having the conversation and really leading people to where you'd want them to go to. And if they say, I'm not interested, the key then becomes just asking another question. I've been amazed at how many times people have told me no, but if you would have said to me no there, I'd say, gosh, Mike, it seems like this is a great neighborhood. Do you mind if I ask how long have you lived here? They might answer that, and then before you know it, oh, do you have any kids? Yeah, we raised our kids. And then then you're back into another conversation, and you'd be amazed at how many times somebody has said no, and then by asking a couple additional questions, getting them to talk a little bit, it's 15 or 20 minutes later and they're giving you their phone number and their email and saying, boy, I'd, I'd like to get together with you. Do you have a list of questions or a script on your clipboard that you're using and referring to? I don't. I've been doing it for quite some time, so I'm very comfortable with it. If there is somebody, like I, we just had our team meeting this morning and we have a, an open house scheduled for next week and I'm going to take one of our new team members along for the neighborhood preview and teach her the scripts and obviously role play and see it in action. And I've done that with, with all the other agents in our team and it takes that fear away and we're able then to go back and role play on what they said and how they responded. And one of the things that you'll generally find when people haven't done it before, they'll go for the close too early rather than trying to develop some rapport. That's probably the biggest key there is try to develop some rapport. A question like, seems like everybody in the neighborhood loves the neighborhood with a nod of the head, the old body language. And you'd be amazed how many people start nodding their head. Yes, they do. And how long have you lived here? And like I say, you're off into a conversation that somebody that's told you no is all, is all of a sudden your best friend and, and sharing information with you and, and many times getting an appointment. I would think that a lot of agents would be fearful about going to the door of an expired because they might be mad. Are the people that you're coming in contact with, are they mad? They can be. It's interesting. We had, I uh, just this week had to go pick up 
a report on a settlement we have, I believe it's this week. And believe it or not, it was with our agency. And when I knocked on the door, the fellow was very reluctant to talk to me. And I said, well, when you look at any company, it's kind of like Chevy. I mean, there's good Chevy dealerships and there's not so good Chevy dealerships. And I can tell you that we've been fortunate to do what we have done and would love to sit down with you. And when I picked this piece up from him, he said, you know, I had to tell you, that took a lot of guts after the agency wasn't able to sell the home that you've come back now and knocked on the door, but that's why you're here because you did it. And I figured, my gosh, if this guy's willing to do this, he's probably doing some other things different that other people aren't doing also. So you made yourself stand out by going to the door. As you said, everybody else was either making phone calls or sending direct mail. You're going to the door. Exactly. As I said earlier, Mike, we're trying to do things different than everybody else. From the time that we meet them to our presentation being rehearsed and script to the marketing material that we have. And then when we sit with somebody, whether it's a listing presentation, whether it's a buyer presentation, whatever it may be, we tell them that and a lot of this from uh, Joe Stump, great introduction to a listing presentation that he calls it the most important seven minutes in show business, where he talks about consulting, negotiating, and overseeing. But one of the things that, that, that I got from, from his tapes was is that the one thing that we will do is never put our interest before your interest. We work for you. And I think that that's one of the things that many of us do, particularly early in the business, is we, we go for the close too early rather, in, rather than trying to build rapport with people, as you talked about earlier, studying personality styles and really understanding people and that, that our clients are our employers. We tell everyone, whether it's a buyer or a seller, our business is to exceed your expectations. And if you ever come in contact with anybody on our team, whether it's one of our agents, whether it's one of our administrative assistants, or it's a subcontractor that we've referred to you, please let us know because we hold everybody to a higher standard on our team. And we want this to be such a great experience that, that you'll refer us to other people. Well, Michael, as you've mentioned your, your team multiple times, let's talk about the team. Who's on your team? What a great story. We have two young, Joey Farrell and uh, Juliana Kahneman, have joined together and, and put a team. Juliana is somebody that I think that you'll hear and see from. She's 22 years old, and her goal is to be one of the 30 under 30 on the Realtor magazine. And her and Joey have formed a team together. Joey just came full-time April of last year. And Juliana was actually one of our assistants that saw the business and saw how it's grown. She's been a tremendous asset from the marketing side of creating some of our marketing materials and just loves and drinks and eats real estate. They have a goal this year of closing 70 sides, doing close to $20 million in business. And both of them have been in the business under a year and a half. Their client specialists, we're working with them on teaching them the listing presentation. We've actually partnered with them on some internet lead generation where we're making an investment into that and they're following up with those leads. 
We also have another client specialist that Lizzie trained in her old business, Laura Berger. She was uh, in the business a, a few years back, got out of it for a, a little period of time, got back in, and her goal is to, to close 25 sides this year, just started back up in September of this year. And then Donna Marconi is also a client specialist. I met her actually when I was in class for uh, my real estate license in Delaware and just started chatting and developed a relationship. Donna just got licensed April of, of last year, 2013, and she'll close 25 sides this, this year also herself. And then we have a settlement coordinator, Danielle Batts, and she was actually our first hire. It's probably one of the things that we feel that is, is very important, particularly if you're a new agent out there, to try to get some administrative help as soon as possible. One of the lines that I got from the millionaire uh, real estate tapes was, if you don't have an assistant, you are an assistant. She was our first hire, and she's grown into being our settlement coordinator. She handles all of our settlements. And then we have Laura Howie, which is our listing coordinator. She just got licensed in Delaware, and her objective is to work herself out of a listing coordinating position into a full-time uh, real estate agent. And then we also have a virtual assistant right now. So that kind of makes up the team. What does the virtual assistant do? Virtual assistant's been handling some of the listing paperwork uh, to take some of the load off of Laura's plate, done some things freshening up our uh, internet exposure. We'll work on withdrawal and expires. We'll work on uh, data entry into our database. Anything that Laura and uh, Danielle can't handle. They're working with him on that. You mentioned the first two client specialists, I think Juliana and Joey. You refer to them as a team. Are they a team within your team? Yes. They've decided to form a team within a team. Joey's 28. Juliana's 22. We actually say they're like our kids. We've been very fortunate to have them kind of, we've kind of been mentoring them and their ultimate goal is to build a a big real estate business, and we're doing everything that we can do to help them to do that. We do want to retire someday, Mike. Got to leave it to the children. Do you see them growing their team to the point where they take over many of the positions that you currently have on your team? Or do you see them growing their team and then branching out and creating their own team outside of your team? The goal, and we've talked about it, is them taking over our business ultimately. We've got to leave it to somebody. And there's going to be a hell of a business there to, to leave it to. Have you all just been talking about that, or do you have some kind of formal agreement? We haven't sat down and done a formal agreement as of yet. I think as time goes on and everything matures, that that would be the, the logical thing to do and make them comfortable, us comfortable. Our objective right now is to do whatever we possibly can do, and I know it's probably one of the hardest things that we all deal with in real estate and is, is that you know, somebody will leave or whatever it may be. We've been very open with anybody that is on our team that if you feel that that's where you'd like to go, just please give us six months to a year to make an exit plan. We'll do everything that we can do to help you to grow and, and build your business, but please just help us to, to plan for that. We'll never hold anybody back from chasing their dreams and goals. 
but let's do it in a professional and business manner and treat everybody the way that they'd like to be treated. Do you use any type of formal written agreement between you and your team members? We have because we've made some investments into our team members in different capacities. And what's happened, Mike, is our business has has grown very, very quickly. And we got to the point that we knew that we needed help, that we couldn't do this by ourselves or we'd be working nonstop. So we've been able to develop some relationships with them and put some things down in writing to to make everybody comfortable. You call the agents on your team client specialist rather than a buyer agent as an example. Why did you use the term client specialist? The reason we did, Mike, is we want them not to be just buyer specialists. We feel that they have to also become proficient at listings if they're going to build a predictable and sustainable business. So we want our agents to be complete in all areas of the business. And we've made some lofty goals and we know that we can't do it by ourselves. And if we all grow together, it gives us a better chance of staying together longer and having that relationship that I think that everybody would like to have in the real estate business. Could you describe for us the compensation program you've structured for your client specialist? Yes, we've actually sat down with each one of them individually, depending on what kind of investments we've made into them and where their individual situations are. And each one of them is on an individual basis. Are you paying just commission in some kind of structure around that? Or are you also paying some type of salary? We've done both. It depends on the individuals and uh, their situations. Are you profitable? We are. Like I said, we've made some investments into individuals. But one of the things that we've done, Mike, and the reason why we've been profitable is we've never asked anybody to do something that we haven't been willing to do. We still are out there every day listing and selling. So we feel that our job is to lead from in front and help everybody get to where they want to be, but we are, are very, very profitable. The interesting thing about our business is that it's been such a short period of time that we're actually wrapping our hands around each different aspect of the business. And as we get further and further into the business, we're getting very, very granular which, with each expense. So I monitor that like a hawk, It was a little bit of flying by the seat of our pants for the first year and a half, almost two years. But with the amount of business that we were doing, yes, we're very, very profitable. And our goal is to get it to the 65% rate before taxes, carrying 35% as they talk about in the Millionaire Real Estate book. We're on track to make that happen here very, very shortly. Last year in uh, 2013, do you know what your net profit was as a percentage of your gross revenues? Yes, just about 50%. And we feel that we can do better than that. $10 comes in the top of your business, $5 comes out the bottom to you. Correct, before taxes. Do you all pay yourself a salary or do you just take the profits at the end of the year? That's a question that we've been working through with our uh, accountant, and we're now taking a salary on a monthly basis. 
how have you structured your operation? Are you a sole proprietor, a, an LLC, a corporation? An LLC. The other thing that we've done, Mike, along the compensation area is, is that we've put bonus programs in position that we started at the beginning of the year to incent all of our salespeople based on X amount of, of sales. There's bonuses all the way through the year that will be paid out at the end of the year. We set up a bonus program based on settlements. And then we also incent our settlement coordinator and our listing coordinator based on closed transactions also. So everybody is incented to making the team grow, that it's, again, together, everybody achieves more, that we're all working together. We will cross-pollinate with, with buyers if need be. We always tell everybody that, that it's not a question of if you need to take a day off, somebody else will cover you because at some point you're going to need or you'll have something. But we've encouraged our agents also to to hopefully be duly licensed in both states. And four of our agents are licensed in both states, so that helps. And ultimately, we'd like to, to again, have cross-pollination between those states, if at all possible, so everybody can help out. You mentioned bonus incentives. Your administrative staff, I'm assuming that, that they'll get a certain dollar bonus for every closing that occurs. Is that correct? That is correct. And then the other thing that we also did is we we rented a uh, property since we had such a great year last year. We rented an oceanfront property down in New Jersey in July for two weeks that everybody will be able to, to bring their family down for a week and enjoy the place. That's great. A laid-back environment, no business pressure, right? Or are you going to turn that into some type of team retreat? No, I think we're just going to ha- hang out. Uh, the other person that will be there is our coach. He's come down. He's been such a – Jim Cabasco has been such an integral part of our success that he's coming down with his family, and he knows a lot of the people on our team because they've gone through boot camp that the Cobalt Banker provides for all the new agents. And he actually was our former manager at our office and was the person that actually hired Lizzie to come over to Cobalt Banker. So we want to do it just together and hang out. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll talk business, but it's not going to be a, a retreat or anything like that where we are planning goals or anything like that. It's just going to be to, to enjoy each other and our families and then relax a little bit. You mentioned also having uh, bonuses that you're going to pay out to your agents. Does that mean that the majority of your agents are receiving a salary as opposed to a commission? No, that does not. It doesn't matter whether they are or aren't. Everybody is at different stages, and our goal is to to add additional agents uh, as time goes on. So everybody will be at different stages. So, but everybody participates in a bonus pool, no matter where or what compensation plan they're on. Liz, what drives you? My husband. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That, Mike, I wish I had the answer to that question, to be honest with you. I have just always been driven. I am the youngest of five children, so I think that may have something to do with it. I was always having, I feel, uh, to defend myself uh, in a lot of ways being the youngest. Always very athletic, grew up in a very athletic family, and I enjoy competition. And I guess the bottom line is I don't like to lose at anything. Mike, what drives you? 
you know, Mike, as I said earlier, I've been very fortunate to have some great mentors in uh, in the businesses that I've been in before. I've been so fortunate. I almost feel like you live, live in a dream right now. Lizzie and I had an opportunity uh, before I got into real estate when I mentioned we were flipping houses to build our dream home. And we've had so many good things happen to us. I think now it's helping other people achieve their dreams and goals. The people that we have on our team right now, for example, Donna Marconi left the post office at 55 years old and started real estate from from scratch. And as I said, we met in, in real estate class. Joey Farrell is 28 years old, always had a dream of, of being in real estate. And he's partnered up with Juliana, as I mentioned, it's 22 years old and loves the real estate business. And Laura Berger was a, uh, a teacher in a, in a bad area of, uh, of town teaching and, and wanted to get out of that wanted to get back into the real estate business. She has three kids and we just, we love seeing people achieve their, their dreams and goals. And we want to do everything that we can do to help them to do that. Liz, why have you been so successful? It's probably the drive. I do enjoy the business. I, I'm just a people person and I like helping people have their dreams come true. Is the bottom line. It's the most expensive thing anybody's ever going to purchase. It's one of the most stressful things they're ever going to go through. And I just like to help people achieve that and try to make it as stressless as possible for them and to let them know that we can get through anything and we'll make it happen. And, you know, there will be many times where a deal may fall apart because of a home inspection and I'll say, you know what, that's okay. We'll find you the right home. If it's meant to be, it's meant to be, and we will do what we have to do to make that happen. And probably is being honest with, with your clients and explaining everything to them. Honesty and trust goes a long way in this business. And it's not about the bottom line to me. It's about getting them where they need to be. Mike, why have you been successful? In this business, Mike, I think the first thing is making, we call it, we have four pillars in our business, but the second pillar, we call it marketing slash prospecting. To me, prospecting is kind of like, if you ever have to think about breathing, you're in, in bad shape. If you ever have to think about prospecting in this business or marketing, you're in bad shape. It, it, it almost has to be where you get to, to where it has to be reactive, but definitely putting time in for prospecting. I think the second thing is is that we have studied real estate, study the statistics of the area, and to be prepared for any situation that we go into, whether it's a $100,000 listing or whether it's a million-dollar listing. We know and study the area and what absorption rates are, what's selling, what's not selling, and, and why. And then probably more importantly is finding something of that old scenario of that if you find something that you love to do, you'll never work another day in your life. And the real estate industry to me has been a, it's been a godsend. I've had to recreate myself a couple of times. And as I said in the opening that Lizzie was after me for a long time and I ran out of excuses. I really didn't understand the real estate business. It's a wonderful, wonderful business. As I say to all the people when, when we sit down the first time is why did you get into the business one? And probably more importantly, I always ask them, how many hours are there in a week? Seven times 24 is obviously 168. But we've all been given 168 hours for every week. I've seen single mothers 
come into this business and, and do it all as you've seen. So everybody has a situation that's very, very similar to yours, or we can find somebody that's got a situation that's similar to yours. And it's just a matter of, of wanting it and wanting to be, wanting to be the best at what you do, not to, not to beat people or anything like that. But I think that trying to be and, and serve people in a way, and if you serve enough people, you'll get everything that you want. Liz, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? I would probably make sure that they would hire or be interviewing with a company that offers training. I think training is key in this business, particularly with all that that is out there, you know, coming from no training. And then seeing the training that Coldwell Banker Preferred offers, I think, is the key. And the continuing of the education, I think, is, is very, very wise. So I think education is key in reference to getting into this business, and, and you really have to be driven. You have to chase it. If you want it, it's there. But it's not easy. Everybody thinks it's so easy to go get a real estate license. It's easy to get the license. It's not easy to be successful in the business. You must be driven. You must have goals, and you must set them and, and do what it takes to get there. Mike, do you have advice to a brand-new agent just getting in the business? What would you tell them to do first? I would say the first thing is always put prospecting particularly when you start in the business, is 80% of your time because that's really what you need to do. And you need to work to learn, not learn to work. Now, I know that maybe goes a little bit diametrically opposed to what Lizzie just said. I think that you need training, but I think so many people use that as an excuse as not to get out and, and, and go pursue. And then I think the second thing is, is, is it, if you really want a long-term sustainable career here is to find yourself or get yourself an assistant. As I said earlier, if you don't have an assistant, you are one. And when you really look at the people that succeed in this business, they treat it like a business. And if you're trying to do every aspect of the business, something's falling somewhere else. So I would say the second thing would be to get an assistant as soon as you possibly can. And then lastly, go for it. You can have anything that you want. You can achieve anything that you want in this business, whether it's three sides a year or whether it's 300 sides a year, or I'm sure somebody's going to do 3,000 sides as a team here sooner or later, and there may be somebody out there that I don't know. But it really, whatever you want is there for you. Do you all think the top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Absolutely. Mike, I think that, as I said earlier, that my hat's off to you. What you've done and what you've provided for this industry is, is second to none because I have not been in this business a long time. And the things that people have and the resources, the questions, I heard your first summit. And I don't know if you remember this. I wrote you an email and I said, Mike, man, your questions are unbelievable. They're spot on. That was back in June or July of this past year is the first exposure that I had to you and to the mastermind concept. And anybody that's not utilizing it, I think is crazy because it takes away all the excuses. You'll find somebody that has a situation similar to yours being an agent, whether you're brand new or whether you're a seasoned agent. I think that it's invaluable what you've done for the industry. I just thank you for the opportunity to, to share a little bit with the real estate community and my hat's off to you and, and continued success and keep doing what you're doing because I think it's invaluable. 
Well, Liz and Mike, you are on a fast pace. You doubled your sales volume and tripled your GCI last year and plan to double again this year. You built and trained a team to help you achieve your lofty goals while helping the team members achieve their goals. You capitalized on your past clients while developing new lead generation models. You kept your expenses low and your profits high by prospecting instead of marketing. You are on a fast track and I expect to hear more amazing results in the future. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 578 homes worth $194 million last year and was ranked the number one agent in the world for Keller Williams Realty two years in a row. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.